So this morning as we, we look at Acts 18, 18 through 28, I want us to think about what does it mean that we are all in process? All of us are in process. So read along with me. Acts 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Synchrony, he cut his hair, had cut his hair for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus and he left them there. But he himself went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay longer for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he had powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ, the Christ was Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Patience. We are all in process. We are all people who need kindness, who need patience, who need to be forgiving towards each other and even towards ourselves. We're all people in this process. We all come from different backgrounds. I want you to even think about the people that you know from this church and the backgrounds that they all come from. Some of you from your earliest days have been incorporated into a family church that has just been a wonderful body of people and you cannot remember any time other than being in a Christian family. Some of you have grown up in kind of a nominal kind of Christian family community. Maybe there were certain values that you obeyed and adhered to, but really there was no Christ gospel-centered movement in you at all. Some of you have no idea, had no idea what it meant to be a Christ follower until you were confronted with the gospel. And then we have the whole range of when you came to Christ. Some of you have been believers almost your entire life. Some of you are relatively new and discovering things. We are all in process. And this body is a hodgepodge mix of people. All in process. All growing together. On top of that, we all have different spiritual gifts and talents that have been given to us. We have different kinds of spiritual experiences. Some of us may have come from a, a charismatic background. Some of us may have come from a Roman Catholic background. You want to talk about two very different backgrounds? Right there. 
Some of us have grown up in just a very straight lace. We don't move. We don't show any expression. And some of us have grown up, and maybe it's our own personal way that we express ourselves, very vibrant, very moving kind of experiences. There may be some who attend regularly here who have not yet put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Maybe you are learning about who Jesus is and and what he did in dying on the cross. You're reading your Bible and you're assimilating the teaching that is there, but you have not yet taken that next crucial step in trusting Christ, putting your full faith and trust in him as Lord and Savior. We who are trusting in Christ need to remember that we once were where you were at, are at. And we need to treat you with tremendous amount of patience and grace and giving instruction where there is opportunity. And there's others here who are just babes in Christ. It's a brand new life for you as you're following after Christ. There's much that you do not yet know, much less practice, but you're in process. And those of us who are further on down the road need to treat you with the same tolerance that we show to our children that are young. Patience. We shouldn't expect a one-year-old to act like a 10-year-old or a 10-year-old to act like an 18-year-old, or an 18-year-old to act like a far more mature person. Rather, we should show and model regularly mature behavior and gently, when we are able, help you to understand how to live in a more mature spiritual manner. But none of us have totally arrived in spiritual sanctification. We are all in process. I want it to be clear too that when I say we are all in process, that includes me. I have not arrived. I am in process. I am growing. I am learning. I am discovering. I am changing. I am in process with you. Our text this morning shows that God's work and God's workers are all in a process. It's a passage of scripture that I wish God would have given us a lot more clarity for some reason than what what he did. Luke raises a lot of questions that he doesn't seem to answer. For example, what was Paul's vow? He took a vow. First time that we've heard about it. What did he take? Was it right or wrong for him to to make a vow? Should Christians today take vows? Luke doesn't answer that question. Why didn't Paul stay on at Ephesus when there were Jews who were uncharacteristically open to his message? Doesn't it just make sense that the gospel is just exploding and budding and taking birth, giving birth right there? Wouldn't you stay on in Ephesus? But for some reason, he moves on and we're not told why. Why was his visit to Jerusalem cut so short? And what happened there? Why was Apollos a, belie- was Apollos a believer b- before Priscilla and Aquila explained the things to him? If so... What did he really lack? What did Apollos lack? 
Why does Luke seem to skim over some what seems to be very important details in Paul's ministry, such as the conclusion of his second missionary journey? If you missed it, that second missionary journey came to a halt, but he kind of quickly starts moving into the third missionary journey. And what happened to Timothy and Silas? They disappeared. But a common thread in this section and with the paragraphs that we'll be studying in the weeks to follow is that we see people are in process. They're in process, in the process, and God is using people to accomplish his work of spreading the gospel and building the church. So our main theme this morning is this. Our main theme this morning is this, to accomplish his work of proclaiming the gospel and strengthening the church, God uses workers who are in process. So let me read it again. To accomplish his work of proclaiming the gospel and strengthening the church. Proclaiming the gospel and strengthening the church. He uses workers who are in process. So first, let's, let's focus on God's work. There's two strands that are evident right here. God focuses on preaching the gospel to the lost and strengthening the church. Those are the two things that God focuses strongly on. The preaching of the gospel, the proclaiming the gospel, the sharing the gospel, and strengthening the church. First of all, he focuses on preaching the gospel to the lost. Wherever he went, wherever Paul went, he was, whether he was in transition or not, Paul took advantage of sharing the gospel, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. But wherever he went, he shared the gospel. He reasoned with people. He, he was trying to convince people of the truth of the gospel. In Romans 9, 3, Paul goes as far as to say this, that he wishes that he himself was cursed and cut off from Christ if it would mean the salvation of the Jews. That is an incredible statement. Man, I wish that I was cursed and cut off from God just if the Jews would come to salvation. That is an incredible statement. And I admit, I am not sure that I could really say that from my heart. Man, I wish that I, I would be cut off from God, cut off from Christ, and the blessings that I receive from Him just if my family would come to Christ. Just if my neighborhood would come to Christ. Just if my, if my whole city would come to Christ. I, I don't know if I could say that, but Paul was burdened for lost people. We hear a lot of people with compulsive behavior today. And Paul admitted his compulsion. In 1 Corinthians 9, 16, he said, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. It dominated his entire life. It dominated his entire life so that he could say, 
a little later on in 1 Corinthians 9, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. All for the sake of the gospel. Is that true for us as a, as a community and for you as individuals, for us as a great part of the greater church? Do we, are we willing to do it all for the sake of the gospel? Are we willing to give it up all for the sake of the gospel so that some might be saved? We see the same focus for Apollos before he even gained clarity in his message from Priscilla and Aquila. After they helped him, he went over to Corinth and gave a powerful witness to the Jews there, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Note that the word for, it, be, it begins at verse 28. When connected with verse 27, it shows that Apollos was preaching the gospel, strengthened when, when he did it, it strengthened those who had already believed the gospel. I can testify with my own faith that I've been greatly strengthened by reading many of the gospel sermons of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who is probably one of the greatest preachers of the 19th century. And when it is done right, when preaching is done right, the gospel not only brings lost to salvation, but builds the believers in their faith. But the point here is a major part of God's work involves preaching to the lost. If we forget that, we are out of focus. Now part of me struggles with using the word preaching because when you hear the word preaching, who do you think of? The pastor, right? That's right, Paul. You should be preaching to the lost. That's your responsibility. The reality is reaching or preaching is a word that talks about proclaiming, about telling, and telling in a convincing manner with great authority. It is a word that you applies to you as well. It is not a word reserved solely for me. There's a special class of people who are told to proclaim the gospel for the sake of the church, to build them up, to teach them, to equip them, to strengthen them, and to send them out. But the reality is that, is that the entire body is to be a preaching body. Everyone. In your workplace, in your families, in your family circles, your extended circles. If there's someone lost in your family, you are to be a preacher in your family, proclaiming, telling them. If they are lost apart from Christ, the only way that they can come to salvation is by hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the only way that they'll come to salvation. Yes, you need to match up faith without works. It's dead. Yes, you, you do need to have lives that that exhibit the gospel. Your lives are on display, but a person can only come to true faith in Jesus Christ by the preaching, by the hearing of the word. So we need a community of people who are passionate about sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel, proclaiming it in loving and contextual kind of ways. Every one of you is to be a preacher. Every one of you. No matter where you are in your process, each one is to be a preacher of the gospel. Every one of you. The second thing is that we see that God focuses, work focuses on strengthening the church. 
strengthening the church. Paul began his, his third missionary journey by visiting the regions of Galatia and Phrygia, Phrygia by strengthening all the disciples. Strengthening all the disciples. Apollos also, as we have just seen, not only preached the gospel to the lost, but also helped those who, through grace, had believed. Priscilla and Aquila helped Apollos come to a deeper understanding of the things of God. He, he in turn, helped other people. That should be a pattern for all believers. In areas where we have received help, we should offer help to others. That's a, that, that should be a normal pattern for every believer in Christ. If you have been saved by grace and you've been transformed in one way, shape, or another, one, you've been transformed, taken from the kingdom of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of light. That's, that's common to all of us. But we all have unique things that we've been saved from and we've been changed. It should be normal that each and every person here in this room today is using what God has done how he has changed you, and you are helping others. Jim Elif, a guy who is a Southern Baptist guy, he and I would disagree on the issue of baptism forever. But he's a wise man. And he had a, an older woman come to him. Just She had transferred from another church, and she was really bothered that she has not been asked to be used in any way within the church. She has great leadership gifts. Use me, use me. Why haven't you asked me? And Jim, for, for reasons, said, you know what, I, I don't think that you're quite ready yet. But what you can do before we give you an official title, come up with a list of 10 people and their needs within our church and start applying that. She reported back to him later that she is way too busy for any position within the church, official position, because she has too much to do in the church. We all have a responsibility of ministering within the church with the gifts that God has given us. Here's the reality. Babies are cute, aren't they? But they need to grow up. <clears throat> we shouldn't be changing diapers their entire lives. They do that growing up gradually. As we feed them, as we protect them, as we care for them, as we teach them. And eventually they become mature, hopefully, right? Hopefully they become mature to get married and to have babies of their own who in turn need to grow in maturity. In the same way, God's spiritual children need help to grow up. This is a major task of the, of the, the gift of the pastor-teacher to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that they can attain the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. But all members, not just pastor-teacher types, have a role to play in this. Everyone. The whole body grows as an individual part works properly according to its function. The whole body grows 
If God has helped you work through a problem, he can use you to help someone else who is struggling with that exact same problem. You struggle with depression. You struggle with eating. You struggle with lust. You struggle with these things. You too can help other people who are struggling with those same areas. If God has helped you to overcome temptation and walked, you are now walking in greater holiness. He wants you to help others, to help other believers learn the same things. There's no specific ministry for that. That's what we do as a body. If he has helped you get through a difficult trial by leaning on him as your strength and your comfort, he wants you to use that same experience, that same knowledge to help others to learn to trust on him as their strength and their comfort. You might be thinking, and I've heard it, a gajillion times, even from our Missio Day family. Yeah, but Paul, I don't have it together yet. I don't know enough yet. Someday, maybe I'll, I'll have it all together enough to help other people, but I'm not even close to that yet. That's an excuse that we all use, isn't it? I don't care where you are in your spiritual walk. We all tend to use that, you know... I'm just not there yet. But here's, here's the thing. The major second thing that we've got to remember is that God uses workers who are all in process. That's what God does. After 25 years of being a believer, Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, this. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Let me say that again. After 25 years of being a believer, 25 years, for some of us, that's, an extent, that's more than all of us, some of us, you know, some of you are going, man, I, I've just been a believer for about 10, 15. Maybe I've been a believer for about all my life. Wait, that's about 20-some years. Paul, who was the primary author of the New Testament, after 25 years said, not that I have already obtained it or am already perfect. Not that I've arrived, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He was still in process. Paul was in process. That should be a huge encouragement. Encouragement for you, for me. Paul, the apostle Paul was, after 25 years, still growing and learning. Being sharpened. Chained, being changed. We, we got to note that God always uses workers in a plural sense. Luke here momentarily and, and probably on purpose skims over what I think are some fairly important details. Instead, what does he do? He focuses on Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. 
He'll get back to Paul in greater detail in chapter 19, but focuses right now he focuses briefly as if to remind us that Paul was not the only one doing the Lord's work. It was not just about Paul. Paul is not the centerpiece of Acts. Honestly, it's God is the centerpiece of Acts, but he is using multiple people, multiple workers. This godly couple, Priscilla and Aquila, whom Paul may have led to Christ, left Corinth with Paul and then stays in Ephesus as he moves on to Jerusalem and Antioch. God uses them to raise up a small group of believers there even before Paul got back into town about a year later. And we know this because when Paul wanted to go over to Corinth, we read that the brothers encouraged him. Multiple brothers. Where did these brothers come from? Some probably came from Apollos' preaching. But some came from the witness of Priscilla and Aquila. We are not told where Timothy and Silas went whether they stayed in Corinth or went back to Thessalonica or to other cities, but they were also at work. I believe it is a safe assumption. God's work is always a team work, not a one-man superstar show. And as you may know, after Apollos went to Corinth, a faction there named themselves, We Are of Apollos. That's who we are. We are of Apollos. And then others claim to be of Paul. And others claim themselves to be of Peter. And then others, these are probably the conservatives in the group. They trumped all the other ones. Some said they're of Paul. Some said they're of Peter. Some said they're of Paul. And then the conservatives came in and said, well, we are of Christ. That's who we are. And while Paul strongly confronted their party spirit, he did not run down Apollos, but rather he affirmed his ministry. He said, Apollos and I are just, and this is 1 Corinthians 3, are just servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the growth. Do you see the teamwork that God uses workers who are in process. God uses multiple people in that process. It is a teamwork activity. And Paul recognized and affirmed that he was just one servant of many. And that while we have different roles and responsibilities in the body of Christ, it is God who is at work through his church as each member serves him. Each member serves him. We also need to notice that, that the workers that God uses are all in process. And I, like I said, I, I've been pastoring for some 15 years in one way, shape, or form. And sometimes I look back at those years and I, I wonder how God could have ever used those years. In fact, hardly a week goes by almost 15 years later, where I, I don't feel, I feel keenly inadequate for the task that I have. 
I feel very inadequate for the responsibilities and my daily duties for you. I have to keep reminding myself of Paul's rhetorical question in 2 Corinthians and where he says, and who is sufficient for these things? Who really is, who really is sufficient for these things? The reality is I am not sufficient. I am not, I am not capable on my own to do these things. But he has an encouraging confession. He says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything that is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. I am a total failure. I am a pastoral failure. I am insufficient. I am inadequate. But thanks be to God that God is my sufficiency. That I am planting with a team of people. I'm planting seeds and maybe watering here, maybe pruning here. But ultimately, it is God who's giving the growth and the multiplication in the church. I am insufficient. He is totally sufficient. The point is, if, if you wait around and hear this, if you wait around to start serving the Lord until you get it together, you'll be so old that you forget, you'll forget where you put it. I'll wait till I get it all put together. You're going to be so old that you forgot where you put it. The reality is that we, we need to start serving now. Proclaiming the gospel, building up the church, because we're all in process. God uses people who are all in process. Look at, look at the characters. The apostle Paul, he was all in process as he served. We saw back in Philippians, Philippians 3 that, you know what? He had to press on. Press on. Keep on pushing forward. We got Priscilla and Aquila who are in a process as they served. They too were growing in the understanding of the things of God. When Paul first met them, they had not, probably not been yet saved, and they worked together side by side in this trade of making tents. And what did Paul do? He shared the gospel. He reasoned with them. He pointed them to Christ in the Old Testament. He quoted scripture after scripture that proved that Jesus Christ was the promised Messiah. And they came to faith in Christ and they grew in faith and they grew in knowledge. And now, and now they were at a point where even though Paul was not there, they had the maturity and the knowledge to help Apollos. This young, gifted, eloquent preacher to get the message straight. I love it. Young, gifted, eloquent preacher and some tent makers came alongside. A husband and wife said, hey, but you're missing something. You're missing something. Even though Apollos was competent in the scriptures, verse 24 there, he was competent in in the scriptures, they knew some important truths that he did not yet know. They heard him speak in the synagogue, and they probably whispered and said, you know, to one another, Oh, oh, Aquila, I, I think we've got a problem here, honey. This young man is right as far as he goes, but he doesn't seem to understand the one 
of whom John the Baptist actually spoke about. Honey, do you mind if I invite him over for, for lunch? Your pot roast is amazing, dear. Your wisdom is astounding. Invite him over. Priscilla is mentioned first here, before her husband, which is unusual in that culture. It indicates that she may have more knowledge or may be the more articulate of the two. Maybe she had been a believer longer than her husband had. They, they were both in process. But this godly couple used a great amount of tact and wisdom in not confronting him publicly, but taking him aside privately, shepherding him. While scripture plainly limits the public teaching of men to men, there's nothing wrong with a godly woman privately helping a young man understand the things of God more clearly. Some of you are probably shocked that I would even say that. I think scripture is pretty clear here. I've learned some great things from godly women who have pulled me aside. And more than likely, I am sure after this, Apollos probably viewed Priscilla as a mother in the faith. And thank God for her willingness to help him understand the way of God more accurately. We see that Apollos was in process. He was a Jew from Alexandria, which for us is, you got to think of, this is the center of learning. This is the university. This is a, a big university town where you went to get your doctorate program completed and it was well known. This was the place to go for learning. Luke called him an eloquent man, which refers to his, his uh, speaking ability or his ability to learn. And he was probably trained in rhetoric and he was able to communicate in a manner that held people's attention. He was a sharp communicator. As we've seen, Luke describes him as being competent an eloquent man and competent in scripture, which implies not just raw knowledge, but the ability to understand and fit together the major themes of scripture. And he had a fervent, he was fervent in spirit, showing his zeal for God. And yet, Apollos didn't have it all together. He was in process. And it's, it's not clear what Luke means when he said that he taught accurately the things concerning of Jesus, but then he adds, although he knew only the baptism of John. What, what really does that all mean? Some say that he knew all about the ministry of Jesus, including his death, his resurrection, and ascension, but was lacking the experience of Pentecost, the personal indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, personally, I think that goes a little too far. I, I don't think that we see it here. Rather, it seems to me that Paulus knew the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. He had heard of John's ministry and knew the Messiah was coming shortly, but he had not heard that these things had been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Perhaps Apollos had even heard rumors about Jesus being the Messiah, but had never been clearly explained to him until Priscilla and Aquila did it. Put yourself in Apollos' sandals. You've been trained by 
the prestigious city of Alexandria. You have your doctorate degree. You are eloquent and learned far beyond the common person. You have it. People are always telling you how much they appreciate your sermons. And along comes this tent maker and his wife. And they tactfully let you know what you don't know. It would have been easy for Apollos to reject their help. The fact is that he knows that he's lacking. And he was teachable. And he was humble. And what does he do? He helped those who through grace had believed. And sometimes the Greek is a little ambiguous. Different translations can go one way or the other. Verse 27, in our translation here with the ESV, it says that um, when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. Who through grace had believed. But... There's another version that says, he helped greatly through grace those who believed. That was John Calvin's preferred way. He helped through grace those who had believed. Both are true. No one believes apart from God's grace and no one serves efficiently, effectively apart from God's grace. He was a young man growing and being transformed he was in process as well. So here's my conclusion. Three questions. Number one, are you, are you focused on proclaiming the gospel to the lost? Are you focused on proclaiming the gospel to the lost? It's a simple question. Some of you are going, I don't even know where to begin. I'm going to wait till I get my stuff together. Mm -mm. Not an option. Ultimately, we've got to remember, it's, it's God who gives the growth. It's not about you in the first place. Maybe the first thing that you need to start doing is putting together a list of people that you know do not believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. And you start praying for them fervently, daily, moment by moment. You put it up on a, a post-it note on your, your mirror and every morning as you're brushing your teeth, you are praying for Aunt Sally, Uncle Joe. You know, you're supposed to be pray, you know, brushing your teeth at least a minute or two, Right? According to the dentist, you take that time for two or three minutes of the day as you are brushing your teeth, praying for these people by name. You share that list with your family members. And as you sit down together at a breakfast, as a lunch, as a, a dinner time, you pray for these people by name. And as your heart is becoming more and more burdened for these lost people who are apart from Christ, who will, if they die today, will spend eternity forever apart from him in hell. 
as your heart gets more and more burdened for these people, you invite them into your life. You have them over for a simple meal. You pray before a meal. You share what God is doing in your life. You ask them simple, probing, non-judgmental questions. And you start sharing the gospel with those who are lost. It doesn't need to be on a, on a box on a street corner with a megaphone. It could be. But are you focused on proclaiming the gospel to the lost? Second question. Are you focused on strengthening the church? And don't let the, the thought that, uh, you know, I'm not gifted as a preacher or a pastor, or that's not my title. That's, that's beside the point. If God has helped you to grow in any way, he expects you to help others to grow. That's what the body does. That's what family does. You might not be a Paul or an, uh, an Apollos, but you might be a Priscilla and Aquila. Their names are mentioned in this book. Priscilla and Aquila. And Paul talks about Priscilla and Aquila in other places very fondly. These simple tent makers. They can be homemakers. They can be architects. They can be butcher, baker, candlestick maker. It does not matter. They still helped others grow in their faith. Are you willing to do it? Because they were vital in God's work. What if they, what if they thought that, you know, we're not in the same league as this young man. He is sharp. He got his degree from Alexandria. You know, someone else will have to talk to him about this missing it, but you know what? We're, we're just tent makers. The danger is that a one talent person is always tempted to bury it. A one talent person is always tempted to bury their talent. Not for the two or five talent person to bury his or hers. God puts every believer on his team. And he doesn't have any bench warmers. That's my first probably sports thing that I've used in a long time. So get into the game. How's that? I feel masculine. It's my sports analogy. We're all on the same team. We're all in the same family. We all together are to be using our gifts, our talents, our experiences, our different journeys that we have. God has brought us along. And we are all to use those. Look around this room. Who is somebody that you know is in need and can be using some encouragement, some discipleship, just a, a text in the morning of say, hey, I am praying for you. Is there anything I could do for you? I know you're busy. I know I'm busy. What can I do for you? I want to strengthen you. I want to encourage you. I want to lift you up. Get out of your house, get out of your personal world, your bubble, and think about strengthening 
the church. Don't wait for your pastor. Don't wait for your elder to come and contact you, to strengthen you. Don't wait for me to develop a women's ministry. I'm not a woman. Encourage each other as women to strengthen each other. Don't wait for me or Nathan to do it. Men, don't wait for me to start a Bible study. Ridiculous. You all oh, have talents and gifts. Use them for the glory of God to strengthen his church. That's how the body works. I am not the only teacher here. Neither is Nathan. Use the gifts that God has given you to build and strengthen this church body. Lastly, are you in process? Are you really in process in your Christian walk? I'm, I'm not asking, do you still have a ways to go before you're perfect? Because that's obvious, right? We all do. I'm asking, are you deliberately doing things to help you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? Are you intentionally being disciplined in your growth, in your process? Or are you just kind of this, I'm just hoping that something randomly hits me as I'm walking and floating through life. Or are you intentional in your growth? Are you seeking out? Are you moving towards growth? Are you moving in ways of where you're challenging your thinking? You're reading books that are, are a little above your reading level because you need to think a little bit deeper than Max Lucado. Or the cute little pithy devotional books that we often get at the Family Christian Bookstore. Are we moving beyond that and thinking more deeply and growing so that we understand the things of God more accurately? Do you meditate on God's word trying to get a better grasp of God and his revealed truth? Do you read solid Christian books that challenge your thinking and help you to walk in greater holiness? You won't grow as a Christian by accident. You will have to make it your focus. So be patient with me. And I'll be patient with you. Since God is not finished with us all. But let us be deliberately focused on making the gospel known to the lost for those who are perishing let us be deliberately focused on building up one another encouraging each other sharpening one another and let us be deliberately focused on growing personally in the things of God As we go camping, this is going to be a great opportunity for you to put this into action. 
as we live together for a weekend where it's going to be in the 80s among the bugs and the gnats and attitudes and you see the real person coming out of the woodwork? How can you help this person, encourage that person? How can you share the, remind them? I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel that you believed in, the gospel in which you are standing, the gospel that is still saving you. I want to remind you of that. How do we do that as we live life together, as we camp together? How do we serve one another? If you see somebody with a child and their hands are just full and it's like, I can't do it anymore, how do you serve that person? How can you give an encouraging word? How can you spend some time in prayer for a person? What books are you taking along this weekend that might challenge your growth? Maybe it's actually the book. That you spend some time in the book meditating in God's word. Let's be deliberate. Let's get off the Paul bandwagon. The Paul bandwagon. It's not about me. I'm willing to lead. But let's be deliberate as a body. Amen? Let's pray.